Welcome to No Compromises, a peek into the mind of two old web devs who have seen some things. This is Joel. And this is Aaron. Recently, I saw a tweet that it was a little tongue in cheek, but it was the basic idea. There's two types of engineers. One enjoys complexity and views it as job security, and the other avoids complexity at all costs. And like, I get where they're coming from, but my immediate hot take reaction to that was, I honestly think most teams that have legacy software that's super complex and lots of technical debt, it's not a willful choice. It's really a lack of action that got them to that place. And they would love to get out of it, but they just don't know how. And so I I think 80% of developers hate complexity and just don't know how to stop it. I think I would agree with that. I also think a tweet like that is just meant to get someone's heart a raise out of you. Like, oh, there's only two types <laughs> of developers and and you're probably one of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I, I think you're right. I th- I've, I've ran into people where I really kind of felt like it was unsaid that they kept complexity sort of to secure their job. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what are you doing? Like, yeah. j- just like, you don't need to do that and you're making everything worse and you're kind of being selfish. <laughs> um, so the, some of those people do exist, but I think you're, you're right that it's probably a lot more in the middle. Um, and especially when it's like, uh, do I, how, I don't know how to get out of it or, or more so like I have some ideas, but how do I make sure we can like, how, how do I make the value? How do I prove the value of getting yeah. out of this complexity? Yeah. And sometimes it's, it it's a time element and other times it's just like a, an element of fear. Like if I start fixing this one thing, it's going to lead to me rewriting the whole app or like 20 other things are going to all have to change to support <laughs> this. And I just, I just can't even fathom that. So yeah, the, the part of the reason too, other than that tweet that I was thinking about this, is just this idea of like when to pay down technical debt is because you and I are dealing with it right now on, on different projects, but mm-hmm. um, kind of getting into the guts of a fairly thorny complex technical debt situation and just ripping things out and fixing it, but also kind of capping it to not have it turn into that scenario where you're rewriting the app. So maybe we could talk through some specifics of what we're working on and decisions we've made around how to go about doing that. Yeah, I think, um, well, I think even before we get started into that, I want to talk a little bit about technical debt and why it isn't the worst thing in the world though. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so uh, I remember when, um, here's a humble break, when I was doing my work and my business degree, um, <laughs> one of the things that we had talked about was how to leverage specific debt in your business and and understand like that businesses with debt aren't ugly assets, that they actually uh, are, are positive. Um, and so the idea was that if you can rent some money, I go into debt, and make more money because of the money you've rented, to p- you can then pay that off and have had more money than if you just sat around with your own money. So the idea mm-hmm. is like, if you if you can get a 3% loan, an APR of 3%, but you can make 10%, you're getting, you're in the end, you're making 7% uh, with someone else's money versus having to put in your own money. Okay, and so the only, reason, the only reason I bring that up is because I think a lot of times we think about technical debt and we say, oh, horrible, horrible, horrible. It's like, no, it's just, it's a, it's one of the many tools that we have to keep uh, in balance in our projects. 
And so I've, I've worked for companies and clients that were, like start out saying like, we're never going to have any technical debt. I'm like, well, then you're never going to get anywhere. Yeah. Sometimes you have to do these things that are going to cost you later in order to be able to obtain the things that you need now. And that's hard as developers too, for us to think like, sometimes I have to maybe cut a corner that I know it's going to actually, I'm going to have to come back later and fix. And why wouldn't you just let me do it the right way? Well, because sometimes it's what you need to do to move forward fast enough to be, you know, marketable or, or hit a need or whatever. So as we talk about paying down these technical debts, I think we all kind of agree that we'd have them, but I don't want to make the idea of having some technical debt, like the, the super evil thing. It's just that we, what we want to do is we want to try to make it in balance first. Yeah. You don't want to overcorrect too far the other direction. So in, in your uh, analogy there with like financial debt to technical debt, who's the banker in, in the technical debt example? Is it like a business owner where they're going to hold you accountable or is it like a team lead or a CTO? Like who, I'm just curious. Well, yeah, the, the, the banker is the market or whatever your problem you're trying to solve. So you, you want to try to like, it's not like a one-to-one, I guess, right. but, but okay. you basically you're saying like, I need to solve these markets. Um, the, the market is asking for something for my product and I can either miss when it needs it and have mm-hmm. it perfect, or I can give it to it now and understand that I'll have to work a little extra later to kind of clean up my mess. And the way you get the money is to give it to it now. And you kind of clean up the mess as you go along. The problem is when people just never clean up the mess. Right. Well, that's what I, where I was going with that is like, if your team is actually making a decision to take on this technical debt, it should have a mechanism in place to sort of track it. And like an internal guideline is like, okay, mm-hmm. now when do we clean this up? Not just, all right, we'll deal with that at some undetermined point in the future. And then you never get there. Yeah. So there's a lot of different mechanisms. And I've used in the past where I've labeled things when, when I'm working on tickets or a feature, I might end up finding that I make another ticket with a specific label on there called, you know, like internal or technical or mm-hmm. something like that. Um, so I don't lose track at the time because I can tell you what, anyone who puts it to do, in your, oh, yeah. in your code, you're, you're just never going to do that. I mean, there's no visibility there either. There's no visibility mm-hmm. for the managers to see it or for the stakeholders. They're not going to look at your code and be like, oh, it looks no. like you have 27 to-dos. But they can see it in the ticket system if you start to kind of put those out there. And the idea about that then is, is you make these negotiations with your stakeholders and you say you know, things like, okay, so for the sprint or whatever, we're going to do two features and one technical internal task. So they can still see there's making progress and you're still cleaning stuff up. Yeah. Those to-do comments resonated with me because the particular (laughs) project I'm working on has, I don't know if I counted them, but I would easily guess over a hundred. And some of them are not even relevant anymore. And it just goes to show they kind of rot in the Mm -hmm. code base and nobody is actually looking at them. In, in this particular code base, just maybe to give like a concrete example of, of the sorts of things we're talking about. This was an older Laravel application, uh, actually Laravel 4.2, and um, it had never been updated. And so went through the work of doing that, but there's like this question then, okay, so that in itself is paying down a lot of technical debt, but along the way, a lot of things have changed. Like one specific example is there used to be form and HTML helpers in Laravel 4. And those got ripped out of the framework. There's an extra package that you could bring in that Laravel collective package that brought that same behavior back. Now, to make things even worse, this particular project extended that form helper and added its own methods on top of it. And so 
I faced, and it wasn't working, right? After everything had been updated, those extensions were no longer working. And I had this thought like, well, should I just rip all of this out? You know, like, do we really need form colon mm-hmm. colon open? Or can I just put a form tag in here? Like there, there's, a, there's a lot of things that you could mechanically make that change. But I, I made the decision, no, that, that was going too far. Yes, that having a reliance on that package was technical debt, but it didn't really give me the same benefit that getting Laravel to version eight did. And so I, I made the decision like, all right, at some point in the future, this will probably have to be dealt with. But right now is not that point because it might have added a week or two weeks uh, to the project and held up all that other good stuff, good value, you know, fixes, improvements in the meantime. Well, I, I th- you made a great point there, which is, you know, I'm going to talk about that 3% interest rate again or whatever, right? Okay. So you, maybe every month you're paying 3%, so th- $3 on your loan or whatever. Um, would all of the money and time you spent fixing this gain more um, <laughs> than that three, $3 every year? You know, could you have done yeah. something else that'll bring in more money? So the, te- the, the debt does cost you, it does slow you down, but maybe it's just irritating. Yes. And it doesn't really slow you down that much. Yeah. Well, then you have to kind of suck it up and say, you know, not every job is perfect. And sometimes I have to deal with this in this project because they're, the upside of this is I'm just happier, which, okay, cool. I mean, but, you know, I mean, there's other things like, you know, security holes and things like that where it's like, well, there's a tremendous amount of risk. So it's not so much like missed yeah. opportunity cost. It's risk. Um, but you know, there's a lot of times you have to ask yourself too, is like fixing this particular technical debt going to gain the whole project or is it just for me? Yeah. And in this case, it was pretty clear cut. It just was annoying me like to have to deal with this. It's like, ah, but it's also why it's good to have somebody to talk to Aaron. You might've talked me down from that legend. <laughs> fact. Like, do you really want to do all this work right now? And, uh, so I'm happy with the decision. So I think before we move on from this, um, the, the last kind of little idea I wanted to talk about is when we talk about this technical debt, sometimes it's hard to make the case of why it matters. And so we kind of joked around a little bit saying like, you know, like, oh, it just could bother you or something. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not necessarily something to just throw away. It's just something to understand that that's one of the many costs that there is. So it could, uh, there's, there's many costs of technical debt. There's missed opportunity of doing stuff because it takes longer to do a thing. There is missed features because those features aren't available in this older package. Mm-hmm. There is productivity, and that could be uh, um, a product um, productivity of the app itself. Like it doesn't go fast; um, it's slower. We can miss sales, or we can you know make our customers upset. There is developer sentiment, and all those different things. You have to, as a developer, kind of make the case. Then when you talk about technical debt and wanting to solve it, is um, you have to put it in the measurements of what your stakeholders understand. Yeah. So sometimes I'm, I'm not saying you can, you need to throw a fit, but I have told a stakeholder to like, Hey, we've put this off now for seven or eight months. It's really making me frustrated to work on this project. I really just want to fix this little bit. I understand yeah. it's not really going to help a lot. It'll make me feel better to, to work on the project. If I could just do this. It's only going to take me a week. Can I do that? And a decent, person, you know, stakeholders can say, yeah, fine. You can't ask them that every week, but they're going to allow allow you to solve some things like that. Um, You know, and that, that's, that's the thing about this technical debt is to actually kind of tie it back to like, 
what the cost is. And I also assume that your stakeholders don't fully understand what that term means and what the drawbacks of having it are. All right. Do you remember CDs? Uh, yes. <laughs> they weren't that discs. long ago. Yes. Yeah. I mean, they were in the before times, whenever mm-hmm. that was. But um, yeah, I, I remember. I remember that. And I remember, you know, they were, you know, like 60 minutes. And then there was like one that was like 72 minutes. And you're like, oh, that's super. That's a lot of music you can listen to. But the one thing that I really remember about CDs, and I, I think they were on CDs more than definitely more than on tapes was um like the secret track mm-hmm. the hidden yep. track yeah where it was either at the last song then there was like nine minutes of silence and then there was like another song or i remember there was one where it was like they had you know 14 songs and then track 35 was another song yep. you just had to skip through a bunch of empty ones yep and, and I'm like do they have that these days like do we have <laughs> do we have the joy of a hidden song anymore you know, you know where I encounter it is when mm-hmm. I ripped one of those CDs and it's in my iTunes library right now. And then all of a sudden I'm like, hey, <laughs> why is no music playing? Or I'll forget about it. And then boom, like music will come back on and I'll jump out of my chair. But yeah, yeah. And Spotify land, like that's streaming services. Is there a hidden track anymore? Yeah. Like I, I guess, I mean, on movies, sometimes they have like another scene at the end of the movie. Yeah. You know, a lot of the Marvel ones did that. Like the other thing with CDs too is, is you remember like a disc man or something like that, mm-hmm. where you could have the portable CD player. Um, and the I, I, kids these days will just never understand the decisions we had to make, okay. which was when you, when you put in the double A batteries, do you want um, maybe 30 minutes of skip free music? Or do you want to play a CD for six hours, but it's going to skip whenever you hit a bump? <laughs> Cause I don't know if you remember that they had to, like that, mm-hmm. that skip yeah. thing where you, you put on skip protection and yeah. I, I guess I must have just scanned the CD ahead of time. And, and but you like, yeah, your batteries were dead like halfway through the CD, but they didn't skip. Right. Yeah, that's especially important, like riding the school bus or something. It would skip all the time. <laughs> and then you look over and there's a, your friend sitting in another seat holding his CD player like a platter and like on his hand and like like trying to absorb the bumps on this the route. The human anti-skip. <laughs> And I, I remember listening to, uh, you know, I had one of those adapters for the tape player in the car. So you could, you could put in this like fake plastic tape thing. And I would play mm-hmm. as if it was a tape, your music on your CD. I'm just explaining for all the kids who are, you know, under 40 listening. Like with the cord um, hanging out of the tape. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it, it was, there wasn't even Bluetooth. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and I remember like driving down the road and the windows down and, you know, after a li- listening to your CDs for a little while, they get skipped and they'd they would, or I'm scratching, they'd skip anyway. Mm-hmm. So I'm driving down the country road and it's bumping around anyway. And this, the CD is uh, skipping. I was just so mad. I was like, this, this dang CD. And I decided <laughs> that, you know, cause I was young and an idiot. I was going to throw out the window. So I just took the CD, threw it out the window, but I neglected to take it out of the disc man. Okay. So, <laughs> so I just threw the whole disc man out the window with the CD in it. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> Did the tether save you to the cassette? No, no, it, no. Just, it just came right out. So I yeah. just threw away my, my disc man. It was like a hundred bucks. <laughs> how do you explain that when you get home? Oh, where's your disc man? It flew out the window. You know how it gets so bumpy. <laughs> one last anecdote related to music and cars. Uh, I had an MP3, like one of the early MP3 players. It was the Nomad. Remember that? The creative 
Nomad. And oh, it looked, yeah, yeah. It looked like a disc man. It was about that size and shape. But anyways, my dad and I were on a road trip. It was the two of us driving cross country. And so we were listening to like some audiobooks. And one of them we queued up, I think it was Hobbit or Lord of the Rings, one of those books. And after like three hours, we realized it was on shuffle. Cause like the story makes no sense, <laughs> but it would play like a chapter and then it would shuffle to another random chapter. And I had read the book. So like, I was kind of following it, but I, something's not right here. And then I realized it was on <laughs> shuffle. Hey, how are we doing? Do you like this podcast? Do you like our other material? We'd love to hear from you. If you have a specific question or like a topic to be discussed or just have general feedback, send an email to podcast at nocompromises.io.